The following podcast contains explicit language. You're listening to the Cinematography Podcast presented by Hot Rod Cameras, a program about the art, craft and philosophy of the moving image and the people who make it happen. Coming to you from the world headquarters of Hot Rod Cameras in Hollywood, California, are your hosts, Ben Rock and Ilya Friedman. Welcome to episode number two of our four-part Sundance 2019 special wrap-ups. We're calling this one Coming of Age. That's the code name, Coming of Age. It's, it's all in code. Maybe if you if you read between the lines, you'll understand why we called it Coming of Age. Mm, I don't think anyone's going to have to read between the lines. At film festivals, coming-of-age movies are incredibly popular. That's like usually half of the festival, it seems like. <laughs> So so uh, I take it then that you saw lots of coming-of-age movies at Sundance 2019. We did. And uh, the first one that uh, I want to talk about, and we've got some clips from the, the Q&A, is called Blinded by the Light, and it's directed by Gurinder Chahada. And fans of Gurinder's probably remember the movie Bend It Like Beckham. Which I, is a, I certainly remember that one. Huge, yeah. huge hit. Uh, this film was one of the biggest acquisitions out of the festival. Warner Brothers' New Line Banner acquired the film, in a 15 plus million dollar deal. Wow. I mean, and I wonder how, I mean, they probably don't publish this stuff, but like, I wonder what the budget was. I wonder how much profit that, that puts them into. I, I don't know, but um, they had to have permission from Bruce Springsteen. This really is the Bruce Springsteen movie. I, I heard people leaving the theater calling it Bend It Like Springsteen. So, oh, really? Yeah. It's, uh, it's basically Bruce Springsteen music from beginning to end. And uh, they had to go through a whole process of getting the rights to the music and they had to get oh, hence, hence the title I get it now okay blinded by the light that's that, that was a Springsteen composition although the I forget the band that did the big hit version yeah there was a band that did, did the big hit version but of course uh, Bruce Springsteen wrote the song and, and he uh, recorded the original version of it there is a, a Springsteen version there of is song. back in like 73 yes so what you're saying is that New Line basically just gave Bruce Springsteen $15 million. No, not at all. I don't think all that money is going to, to Bruce. All I think of it went to Bruce Springsteen. I, I don't think so. If you, if you know Bruce Springsteen, drinks are on him <laughs> this week. Thanks, New Line Cinema. But here's what I can tell you about the movie, though. The movie is great, and it is going to be seen by a wide audience because of this acquisition deal, and everybody should see it. It is a feel-good movie. It is a coming-of-age movie. Uh, it tells the story of a young Pakistani boy growing up in London, uh, right when Bruce Springsteen was probably like at at the height of his popularity. Oh, cool! And falling in love with the music, and basically his whole sort of life story uh, is set to the backdrop of Bruce Springsteen music. And then, of course, you find out it's a true story. Whoa! Like, I know, yeah. So there's it's based on true characters, it's based on actual events, and uh, it's a fantastic story from beginning to end. And who is the DP, if I may ask? The cinematographer is a guy named Ben Smithard. Ben Smithard. What else has Ben Smithard shot that we would know? Uh, looks like he uh, shot Downton Abbey. Oh, that that little thing. Yeah, he also shot a TV movie called King Lear, and uh, oh, that was made for uh, Amazon, right? It uh, does look like it was made for Amazon, Amazon with uh, Anthony Hopkins, right? Anthony Hopkins. That's right, Jim Broadbent. So this guy's got some chops. He definitely does, Big and it's a great looking movie. Here's the Q and A with Gurinder Chahada. Uh, I was invited to the premiere 
and Seth Rose, I took Seth Rose as my plus one. And we, we both stood on the red carpet as he was coming. I stood at one side of it, Seth Rose stood on the other side. And we both had our cameras like that, so that when Bruce walked past, we both <laughs> so we'd be in the same frame as Bruce, and we were standing there like this, right, and he's coming, we'd be like, oh my god, he's coming, is your camera on? Yeah, my camera is, you are on, yes, it's on, it's on, he's coming, he's coming. <laughs> I grabbed that moment and said, we want to make a film of the book, will you help us? I'm in bed and I met you, but I know your kids liked it. No, 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 no. Said anything, 
uh, including me, and I sort of went up to the front and put the lights on, and he kind of looked at me, and he got up, and he walked over, and he gave me a big hug and a kiss, and he said, thank you for looking after me so beautifully. So that was Gurinder Chahada, and we have one more uh, clip, right? We do, from the writer Sarfaz Manzur, and uh, here it is. This is one of the reasons I was quite interested in wanting to make this film, because I thought the idea of a 16-year-old kid who is Pakistani, Muslim in Britain, absolutely in love with America, and in love with the most American icon there is. I don't know whether a 16-year-old in 2019 of my background would feel that way about America now. And I just thought that one of the things I love about Springsteen is I think he kind of embodies the best of American values. And I just thought that if more people could live by the words of Bruce Springsteen, that that really would be a way of making America great again. Tell me about another movie that you saw there called Britney Runs a Marathon. Uh, Britney Runs a Marathon is great. It is a comedy. It stars Gillian Bell, probably best known for Workaholics. Uh, she was on that show for, for many years. Uh, the movie is also based on a true story and uh, was acquired by Amazon for $14 million. So it is going wow. to be uh, seen, I'm sure, on Amazon Prime. I'm sure it's going to have a, a wide release. It'll be easy for people to see. And it's well worth watching. It uh, follows the story of a former roommate of the director who did, in fact, run a marathon. And at the world premiere there at Sundance, uh, they actually brought up the entire cast, the producers, uh, Toby Maguire, one of the producers. Of this movie. Oh wow! Yeah, you, Toby Maguire, best known from Sea Biscuit. Go on, <laughs> or Spider Man, or uh, yeah, uh, see, I think people mostly know Pleasantville. Sea Biscuit. I mean, Biscuit. Okay, so um, uh, along with uh, or along with the real Britney, who the movie is based on. Oh wow! On, so which uh, which is a lot of fun. And, and who is the DP on this? It's a guy named Seamus Tierney. He's done a lot of, uh, he's been around for a long time. His first credit started around 2000. So uh, that's like 20 years of, uh, of working about, you know, and uh, he's got, it looks like a bunch of new things coming up, uh, but he looks like he's known for television. He did some cold case file episodes and a segment of uh, VHS2 and a Ooh, few VHS other things too. here. So yeah. yeah, you might, you might know us. I know you know the VHS people. So. I, I know some of them. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we have a, we have a little bit of the Q and a with Jillian and with Paul Downs, Colasio, and uh, here it is. Uh, it's sort of true, and uh, that's what I like the most about the character is when I read it, I couldn't relate to her so much. Um, I definitely like to be silly and do comedies, but uh, there is some truth in that, in using comedy to hide pain in your life, and uh, as someone who does comedy, I can say that's pretty true. Uh, we started with Brittany, my friend Brittany. We started with her heart, her soul, and we deviated from it uh, as we sort of built the spine of the story so we could keep the victory and the triumph and the emotionality of her story intact while allowing it to be an art for an audience to go on. And then after that, it was really about building the movie and all the people around what she needed, what she would fight against, uh, what she didn't know that. Um, people who would have revelations that she could discover over time. And then, honestly, you know, we developed the script for a long time of material, and that was lovely, and when these actors came, <laughs> like, they were comedians who were ready to be beating hearts in front of the camera, and 
they were all instantly accessible, and that is what what did it here. All right, so uh, wrapping up our coming of age the, the, from the movies you saw, I'm sure that there are bazillions of coming of age movies, but the last one that you wanted to highlight was a movie called Big Time Adolescence, which I think we can all relate to. Yeah, uh, except, the, except uh, oh yes, we can all relate to that title, but uh, I didn't see it. <laughs> and and here's, here's, the, here's the randomness, uh, but we do have a fantastic interview. I did an interview with uh, the director, his name's Jason Orley, as well as the DP, Andrew Hoopshire. And I really wanted to have this. this and Andrew Hoopshire is actually a client of yours. That's here, right. Here Andrew at, is here a, at Hot Rod Cameras. Yeah, here at Hot Rod Cameras, Andrew is actually a client of ours. And so I really wanted to do this, and I really wanted to actually see the movie, but there was no way to make it possible. So I've still been trying to see the movie between then and now, and still not been able to do it. So well, maybe we'll get. Maybe after this, maybe after this goes live, yeah, maybe, maybe we can get Andrew Hoopshire to come on here. I would love to have Andrew here. That would be that would be fantastic. I mean, he's already here. He's, he's already here. He's he, buying cameras. He's buying lenses. He's buying millions of dollars worth of gear and maybe a T-shirt. Yeah, maybe he'll get a free T-shirt. Yeah, All right. Sure. Okay. Well, uh, anyway, here it is: the interview I did with Jason and Andrew. The Cinematography Podcast Interview. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, with me today is Andrew and Jason. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Hey, uh, this is something that doesn't usually happen. I have not seen this movie. Please, what? To, please, I know. It, it's uh, it's just one of those things that Sundance, sometimes it is impossible to get in to see everything that you would really like to see. And I've heard really good things, but please tell me, tell me about your movie. Sure. Big Time Adolescence is, it's a coming of age story, but it's really about, you know, coming of age at many different ages. There's, you know, 16, 19, 24, and even adults are all still kind of figuring their lives out. And at its core, more specifically, it's about a 16-year-old boy who grows up idolizing his older sister's boyfriend, uh, kind of a charismatic fuck-up. Can I swear on this? <laughs> all right. And uh, idolizing him, and they soon grow to be best friends. And it's really about this young boy's journey to realize that just because this guy's a few years older than him, he doesn't necessarily know what he's talking about. And I think that that's a journey that uh, you know a lot of people go through when they're younger and older people seem so mature and then you have this moment where you realize that you may know more than them or you you know are eventually going to pass them in life and that's really about different characters kind of passing each other by at different ages uh, I've been hearing really good buzz about this and you have a fantastic cast tell me about the cast of this uh, this project yeah uh, we got very lucky uh, the cast is fantastic and it's led by Pete Davidson and Griffin Gluck who play that you know, that correlationship, but it's really rounded out by a lot of amazing women. Emily Arluck, Sydney Sweeney, and Una Lawrence. And uh, and Pete was able to bring a lot of his friends to come play along. Colson Baker, also known as Machine Gun Kelly, uh, has a very memorable role, as does Jordan, uh, stand-up comedian Jordan Rock. Um, and then, uh, and Thomas Barbuska, who is also awesome. And finally, John Cryer, who, you know, this, was, this movie was always going to be a nod to high school movies that I loved. And and I wrote him a letter and begged him to do this, and he was kind enough to come and, and play with us. So, yeah. That, that's fantastic. So, so I've got, since I've got a director-DP duo sitting right in front of me right now, tell me about your working relationship. How, what's it like when you started visualizing, the, uh, visualizing this movie? Well, before Andrew starts, because I'll, I'll let him take over once we start talking about the visual stuff, I just have to say that as a first-time director, every, when you're telling people you're going to direct your first movie, you expect people to say, like, oh, are you sure you can do that? Do you know what you're doing? And for me, everyone had the same thing, said the same thing, which was, 
you got a good DP? You need a good DP <laughs> or you're screwed. You know, and like, and it was almost like, if you have a good DP, you'll be fine. It was like, don't worry. And that's how I felt. I felt like, you know, we really were co-directors making this. He was teaching me as we went, you know, I knew the story really well, but I didn't know how to bring that to life visually. And Andrew did that. We designed the look of this film and, you know, it was, it was a really special relationship for me. We drove home, home from set together every night and kind of talked about the day's work. And that was really like, and after like a long, insane day, which we had many of, that was something I really looked forward to. That was really our therapy session yeah. at the end of each day. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, I fell in love with the script the moment I read it. And, you know, I'd been reading other comedies and kind of high school movies. And this one really stood out as just being just very genuine and authentic. And I knew I wanted to, you know, be involved with it. Um, I took a meeting with Jason. I think I was the first DP that he interviewed and just kind of we were on the same page from the start I you know brought in some reference materials and we really I mean we looked at kind of a range of movies but uh, some of them that were standout references for us were Election uh, Lady Bird certainly referencing John Hughes movies and it has qualities of that yeah I mean we also we also had a lot of visual references like we pulled from there's a lot of Gus Van. Sand. We movies. talked a lot of Gus Van Sant as well. Yeah, Gus Van Sant. Uh, Harris Savatis was 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 definitely an influence and and has been in my work. And he kind of brings a, a brought I should say a, a, an approach to his work that was more about working in spaces as and that that actors would kind of move within as opposed to you know lighting faces and 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 really doing traditional setups and and that kind of rung true in this because we didn't want to make like a bright kind of cheery no we use the word dirty a lot yeah kind of, we, we definitely like you know when you think of a high school movie you think of these like bright saturated colors really you know white whites and hallways and and beautiful faces and you know we really wanted to do something that was extremely natural extremely dirty like as far like we also have to like you know Muddy is, was another word we used, kind of like uh, you know, distressed, like yeah. muted. Andrew uh, got to say, we, 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 we stepped, stepped on, on. Stepped on. We, I was like, let's just step on it. More. It's like a, like it's a like, photograph that's been in your wallet for a while that fell out, and someone kind of like mashed around, and maybe it ended up uh, being baked in an oven. This probably occurred to me later, but like John Hughes behind a layer of of weed smoke is something I've been, I've been seeing. I love that. Yeah, and uh, that's kind of what this feels like to us. And really, for me, like. <laughs> You know, high school was, and this this is what what resonated. High school was like an awkward experience. You know, growing up gay in the Midwest, it it was not like a, a comfortable, pleasant experience. You know, I'm like I'm in the closet. I'm trying to figure out what's going on, and and like no interactions are really. You know, you never really. I never really felt cool. I wasn't one of the cool kids, and so I I, I think I identified, you know, with Mo in that sense. But I never like met the cool crowd. I never got to sort of see what happens when you know to those to those kids like that are hanging out with, with the older kids. I was sort of like the drama geek, um, you know, had my own cable access TV show. So in a way, this was kind of fun to sort of explore. Oh, so this is what's going on. And I think that's part of the, you know, the theme of the movie is that there really wasn't much going on that was of value. Well, what we talked about a lot was, you know, even though people had different versions of this, like it may not might not have been the kind of like dark, sketchy Pete Davidson, everyone had some kind of like, that world that they like escaped to yeah. that like raised them that was outside of their family where they felt like you know welcome and and it was a bubble because like <laughs> you know this this is all you knew and so yeah. you kind of idolized people within this and then you know you start to gain some perspective and and, and see what's past high school uh 
if 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 someone is listening to this right now and would like to learn more about the the movie, do you guys have a Facebook page or a Twitter or an Instagram or anything like that? That's a great question. I have no idea. Okay, it's smart. It's not smart. We should tell whoever's in charge of that. We need it. No, hopefully, hopefully, we're just gonna have a movie, and you can watch that. (laughs) Um, And uh, hopefully, that will be out, you know, soon enough. Well, tell me about the the producers of this project. Uh, You know, you you can't make a movie alone. You have to have a a great team. Tell me about the the producers who came in to help realize this vision. Sure, the movie was made. It's actually kind of a cool, interesting way in which the film got made. It's this company called American High. They had bought a defunct rundown high school in Syracuse, New York. Oh my God. You guys and, got to shoot in a real and high yes, school. We had to shoot in a real, we shot, we shot in a real high school and that's and, amazing. And they were looking, they were seeking out content, original, unique high school stories to shoot in this school. And they had found my script, which was on the blacklist several years ago that I had kind of like made my piece that it probably wouldn't get made because it had taken so long. And it, it's a real it's a real mark of honor though to be included on that list. So yeah. I'm, gl- I'm glad that uh, that Thank list you. resulted in you uh, getting this made. It did, and they found it through that, and then they brought me on and said, "We want to shoot this, and we'll let you direct it." And because we were shooting in Syracuse, and that's you know, it's not a film town yet. They're trying to make it one, and there's these tax credits, and we you know, I'm not going to get into the weeds there. But it was really important to me that I got to choose my DP, my production designer, the the department heads that were really going to and and had people that were extremely experienced that could pick up with what I didn't know. And so they were open to that from the start. And that was like my first, like, listen, if I'm going to come here and make this movie with you guys, it's not going to, I'm going to have to come with my crew. Yeah, you need your people. You I need, need my people. You need the people who are going to support you. Yeah, and, and then I had vision. to go out and find them because yeah. I didn't actually have them yet. And I found Andrew right away, and it was. Yeah, so how, it was did, how did match. you guys connect originally? How did how did you guys meet? Just a standard well, Hollywood way of an agent sending Andrew the script and us having a, a coffee meeting. But it was he was the first DP that I met. Um, wow, you you hired the first DP you met. You said I, I don't need to see anyone else. I just to, to do to not to do my diligence. I met a few after, but I was never you know I knew from the start that that was. That, that was who was going to be my DP. And it was funny because, like, I would have some meeting and then go home and I'd have some email from Andrew because we'd been emailing from after our first meeting pretty much up until we began shooting, even, like, before I was able to officially offer him the job. So it was like I would have some meeting, it would go okay, and then I would go check my phone and I had some great long email from Andrew with, like, more references and I was, like, so inspired and I was like, you know, it felt it felt right always. I was I couldn't not reach out to him because I kept – after our first meeting, I, my mind kept, you know, bubbling with other references and films and just, oh, here's how we should shoot this scene and this scene. And, and I knew it was just going to be helpful. So I wanted to just keep adding to that. And that just, there was, honestly, the line was blurred between just the initial meeting and prep because we just kept talking about the film. And then we all flew out together with the production designer and set decorator. And it had a really unique bond, that I think, all of us in the design team. Um, and we're just on the same page from the start. So we didn't, we had a month of prep which for Jason as well. That, that's quick. Yeah. That's really it's, quick. it's really quick. Yeah. And a lot and, of locations. And it was a quick learning. Like I walk into a location and, and like I said, like these were my partners, like equals my production designer, Catherine Eder and, and Andrew, we would walk into a location like a house and I would say, I love this. And Catherine would say that wallpaper is terrible. And Andrew goes, the ceilings are too low. Where am I going to hit my lights? I'm like, all right, I hate it. Let's go next. <laughs> you know, like I had no, I was like, you tell me, you know, but like, it was like very quickly. They were like, you don't love this. <laughs> yeah. We did, you know, we tested different lenses and things and, and we that all kind really of agreed up on what the, what the approach was going to be. So we, by the time we were on set, we kind of had our, our working model of, of how the machine was going to come together. And, and, and then we could just focus on, you know, making the days. 
And I'd love at some point to talk about the photo boarding aspect, which like, why don't we talk about it now? Yeah. I, I hadn't really used Artemis much before, but I, I had been using some other versions and still photos, but you know, kind of fell in love with Artemis on this project, which is a, if you're not familiar, it's an app for the iPhone, probably Android, where you basically can replicate different lens sizes. So you can kind of pre-visualize what, what your frame will look like and you can punch in different variables of cameras and all the various you know, specifications. One of the creators of that uh, app, Nick Sadler, listens to the show. Too, oh, awesome. Yeah, well, so, yeah. Thanks, man. <laughs> good, Thank good, you. Good, yeah, you just yeah. gave him a good plug too. So. Great app. <laughs> Total props to that because <laughs> we used it. Um, and so, yeah, so we walked through every location and talked about every beat in the script and where we wanted to put the cameras and, and what it was going to look like and then took that in combination with Shot Designer, another app that became very useful. I don't know the people behind Shot Designer, but my, my co-host, Ben Rock, loves that program and touts it all the time. Yeah. So yes, Shot yes. Designer, the overhead shot? Yes. That was, yeah. Thank you, Shot Designer. <laughs> oh my God, thank you, Shot Designer. It, it was so helpful. So, so we would take all of these, and, and you can actually take the stills from in this case, Artemis, and put them into Shot Designer. And so you have this blueprint, You can and, and I made PDFs and printouts for the crew so everybody could see where the cameras were going to be. And, and But also from sort of an editorial standpoint, um, you you kind of can see what your movie is going to look like and what the shots are going to be. But I, I when I think about the process, I always think of Jason's face because he stood in for, for I Mo would stand in it. <laughs> every scene and, and another production assistant. But it's amazing because uh, I was really concerned going into this. I You know, I hadn't storyboarded this and I wanted to, you know, and... and I wasn't sure how if we were going to be able to get the chance to storyboard, and Andrew had pitched me this idea of photo boarding, which I never heard of, which was go two weeks early. Once if we can get our locations locked down really quickly, take stand-ins back to those locations and work out the scenes just the two of us, so we're not we don't have the pressure of an entire crew breathing down our necks and actors ready to go. And that was so it was so it was such a great experience for me because then when we got to set. We had these shots. We knew exactly. We had them lined up. I could bring my actors in. I could tell them. I already. It wasn't like I'm seeing a set for the first time. And how are we going to do this? And so after we even did rehearsal, and normally on a film set you do a rehearsal and then you release the actors to go get their hair and makeup done and then you stay with your DP and you're like, okay, how the hell are we going to shoot this? Like, how many shots are we going to need? How many setups? We didn't need that. I was able to actually go with my actors and rehearse because we didn't have time to rehearse. It's an indie movie. There's no time for anything. I was able to go follow them back to the hair and makeup trailer and rehearse the scene while Andrew was knew had his marching orders. We had figured them out a month earlier, and so he just started getting to work setting up the shot with his crew. And it was, I think, it was I, just a way to get everybody on the same page with without having to explain it in in detail after every rehearsal. Yeah, and it helped all of the departments: lighting, design. I mean, even sound. Like it just. I, if anybody had a question, I would just show them the document. And I would say like 90% of the time, we mostly stuck to it. Yeah, if you look back at our photo boards, it's ama- and it is true, it's just me just like doing doing all the characters running around. Yeah. If you look back at that. And then on the the scenes that we did not photo board, like you've, I've, you felt that difference. Like we realized like, okay, here was one sequence that we didn't have a chance to photo board. We didn't have location. And it was like... Uh, if they, and it didn't always work. I mean, some some scenes, like anything, you you have to be open to improv, flexible. and yeah. the yeah. actors will come in and say, "I don't want to do that," or they want to, you know, and try something else. Another thing that I would like to speak to when it comes to when we're talking about improv, something that we talked a lot about was like in the normal kind of comedy idea of like an actor locked off doing like you see that a lot like in more mainstream comedies that you feel like okay, this was like a single medium shot 
probably cross covered or you know yeah they, I know that a lot of DPs call it a hammock shot. I don't think that's ever been used before to describe it actually. <laughs> the hammock. Yeah, it looks like a hammock. So, two cameras. He's cross. making it a thing right now. It, Everyone's going to call oh, it the hammock. It's been now, a thing so. in Syracuse. <laughs> um, so hammock shot. The yeah. hammock shot. The yeah. cross. The cross. The, you yeah. know the two oh, cameras. Over the shoulder. Which I, which I know that Andrew was. Really, you know, uh, we, we both were adamant against not doing because we want these shots to be unique and original. And I like mean, I think every DP, you know, has a pure side that wishes every every show was single camera and that you could just kind of set for one frame and light for one direction. And and you know, using two cameras, I generally try and keep them on the same angle. But but on a on a film like this, you know, you're you're not going to get the same performances twice. And when you need both sides, sometimes you have to go in that direction. But and so it was it was interesting because we really both of us did not wanted to avoid using that as much as possible. It made it for harder for my script supervisor because she had to remember all the improv because we were not going to, you know. We, it, but I think you feel it in those scenes. Yeah, I think you actually can feel a, a, the connection a little yeah. stronger where where we did do that. Mm -hmm. you know. It, it does allow for spontaneity. Yeah. I, know, I know that there there are some directors who love to work that way, who think it's the only way, especially when you're shooting with a lot of improv. Is uh, how much of the script would you say is improvised, and how much is sticks to the page? As I would say that it's like you know, in every in any given scene, there was some line or idea or thought. But I I made sure that everything I wrote was said the way that I you know, and and the actors did a great job of doing the scenes and and then also playing around with them. And I would I would even offer like a. Uh, you know, once I felt we had the scene the way that I had scripted it, and offer a like a chance to like just play around, and the, even on those takes, it was funny where you'd expect they would start improvising. They just did the scenes as they were scripted, but they were just a lot looser. You know, they just like felt a little more comfortable because they knew we had it. And so, little things, um, affectations that get big laughs, like it's always the small jokes that get the big laughs, like a look or a th you know, it's not the big punchline. Um, uh, I found, and so those where obviously you can't write that. You can't write just like Pete flashing some look or Griffin like stumbling, you know, like it, that, it, that kind of like texture was I think what makes the film great. Andrew, tell me, tell me about, uh, tell me about like a typical day working on set with Jason and, and the crew. Would you say that this is a similar to other movies that you've, that you've worked on before? I, I'd, I'd ask Jason this, but I know this is your, your first time feature filmmakers. So, yes, I have no so, answer for that. So tell, so tell me, uh, tell me what it's like working with Jason. I mean, it's, it's great. And I, I think we did, because I had so much time with Jason in prep, it, it really shortened kind of our, our need to, to have a lot of conversations on the day. So a typical day we, we, uh, show up at set, we do our blocking rehearsal, uh, Actors would go away. Jason and I would recap, and we we would live and die by this document of, yeah, of what the, the our photo shots boards. were. Yeah. Do, do you have any of these photo boards left? Do you think you could send us one? We could put it on the website yeah. to help promote and, your and, episode. And, and, I'll send it to Andrew, Andrew can definitely do that yeah. after this. That, that would be cool. So and instead we, of storyboards, you could see, you could see yeah. a side by side photo board shot for a few. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah. I think I think it would be awesome if we that could would, get a still I, that could I match. I'd love that. Yeah. And I could arrange that. No, I think it'd be I think it'd be wonderful for our listeners. You could see me playing the actors and then the actors doing it, and it looks a lot better with the actors. But no, I mean it, it's it, every film is is different in the dynamics. But um, we were we were all working hard, working fast. It's it's a low budget film. We had to, you know, we had location moves and things. Um, but but we you know we were up and rolling pretty quickly most of the time. Um, and then it just became a lot of times it was fluid. You know, the actors would try something else. We'd make our adjustments, um, and it would morph into its own thing. How how many days were you on location? I know you had a lot of locations, but uh, how many Almost days? Almost all of them. Yeah. I think. I think Wait. it was a twenty-six day shoot. Yeah. I mean, what, what would what would be considered not location the stage? Two days on a stage. Two days on a stage. Yeah. We built a basement set that served as a location for 
for several parties. And the main reason was that there were really low ceilings and we knew we were going to have a lot of people and we wanted to do kind of sweeping steady cam shots. And so, it was really important to me that it, you felt that kind of like that basement feeling of like those tile floor, those tile ceilings you can like push up, you know, like because if you don't see those, you don't feel like you're in a basement. It feels and like was, you're on a stage. Yes. And those parties really had to feel like you were like lame, like high school kids drinking in somebody's basement while their parents were upstairs, you know, and that's so... Building, building the basement set was really, or otherwise. Yeah, exactly. It was really important to us. So, gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you. This, this was is, great. Yeah, this is awesome. Uh, where can people find you? Are you on the Twitters or the Instagrams? Or can, can people, if people want to follow your work, where should they go? I have a website, andrewdp.com. I was lucky enough to get that domain a long time ago. Nice. And that links to my Instagram as well. I would direct everyone to, to go check that out because Andrew's done a lot of awesome work. Me, I... You can follow me on Instagram, but you won't, you know, it's not too fun. You don't use it very much. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Well, gentlemen, that was great. Thanks again. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, so uh, that wraps up this part two of our Sundance special. Uh, who do we need to thank? Let's thank our producer, Alana Cody. Always thank our producer, Alana Cody, who, in addition to everything, has given us phenomenal uh, notes uh, to follow these specials. Yes, it, it almost feels like we're professional right now. Threading the needle for us. Thank you, Alana. And as always, Kazal Atrakshi, who has uh, done all the music for uh, for the Cinematography Podcast from the very beginning, from our our early beginnings sometime around 1987. Let's thank our editorial staff. Abby Corbett and uh, Ben uh, Katz. Ben, and Ben Katz. Sorry. Cool. So uh, come back next time and hear part three of our 2019 Sundance specials. This has been the Cinematography Podcast presented by Hot Rod Cameras. Find your next camera, lens or accessory on the web at hotrodcameras.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening.